Jesus rose from the dead, celebrating today his victory over sin and death and the hope that we have because Jesus is alive. Amen. He is alive and we are free because he is. And I would love it if you would grab your seat today. I'm so glad to see you. My name is Richie, our lead pastor here. And I believe with all my heart that God got you here for a reason today. And he wants to speak to every single one of your lives. Uh, He has a plan and he knows what he's doing. And whether you know Jesus or not, maybe you're not a church person at all. But I believe God wanted every single one of us here today and wants to wants to move in a powerful way it's easter he loves to show up on easter and make his presence known and and i'm thankful that we get to be here together today and man it's it's uh it's been a wild ride the last few weeks many of you know i've been praying matthew lost his little brother uh, 12 year old henry in a tragic way just a few weeks ago Uh, that was on a monday then on tuesday my wife and i were in the er and she got um, all kinds of surgeries, all kinds of stuff just started rolling. I mean, it was like five, six, seven days nonstop to figure out that she has this giant tumor in her chest, this lymphoma that's been growing like crazy and all the stuff that goes with that chemo. And she was in the hospital like 12 or 13 days. To be here on Easter with you is a gift be here together and to be able to worship together, be able to put our focus and our attention on Jesus together, it's a gift. So my prayer and my hope is that you would just have a soft heart today, that God would be able to speak to you, reveal himself to you, that you wouldn't be hard in your heart and arms crossed and prove it to me, kind of just, just ready. I want to pray, just invite God into this time. We're going to just spend a few minutes looking at the impact of the resurrection of Jesus on our lives. As I pray, I want you to ponder one question today. It's kind of a big question, but I want to give you some time to think about it. The question is this, what defines your life? Like, what is it that gives you motivation and purpose and a sense of significance and clarity a focus about your life like what is it that defines your life you should think about that let's just pray lord we come before you today just honestly ready god for you to move in a powerful way ready god to celebrate your resurrection and thankful god for all the work that you've been doing in each of our lives lord just trusting that you would meet us in this time and that you would speak. There's people in the room that don't know you. Jesus, draw them to yourself. There's people that have been just kind of playing games with you and pretending. God, I pray that you would just just draw them into a right relationship with you. There's people that need encouragement today. Bring encouragement. There's people that need hope. Bring hope, God. We all come from where we come from, Jesus, and we trust that you're going to have the power to speak and move and meet us right where we are today, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for resurrecting from the dead, God. In your name, Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. Yeah, you know, I think as we come in here today, it's Easter, and and there's always a temptation with holidays like this and moments like this to just kind of have everything squared away. But if we're honest, none of us have it all squared away. Life is happening in all of our lives, and and it's just kind of what's real, right? Real life is happening all the time in all of us and around us and pressuring us. And 
And I think that, that I'm speaking of some of the brokenness that my family's experiencing right now. You have brokenness and difficulties in your life. And every one of these broken places is a, an opportunity for us to reflect on really what is motivating us and what is that we're holding on to and what is it that we are, are really clinging to in this life. The resurrection of Jesus becomes a, a confrontation for us. It's Easter. It comes every year and it's an opportunity for you and I to self-reflect and be honest with ourselves. Like all the difficulties, all that life is just throwing at you and rolling along in your life. This is a chance for you to reflect and go, wait a second, what is it really for me? What is it that's really captured my heart and driving my life and, and, and causing motivation inside me? What is it really for me? What is it that defines my life? See, Easter is so amazing because it's all about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And it's really a culmination of, of a story that was being told for centuries, really from the beginning of time. Easter is... God's rescue of all mankind, but the only reason we needed rescue was because at the very beginning when God created us to be in relationship with him, Ab and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden with God. When, when he created us to be the way we were intended to be in right relationship with him, it got all screwed up right at the very beginning. See, God made us. I mean, we were the pinnacle of his creation, Adam and Eve. I mean, when God finished creating Adam and Eve, he was like, oh, this is good. They're good. This, they walk together in the cool of the garden in the evening, like God and man in right relationship. It was beautiful. But God is a God of love. And because he is a God of love, he, he puts something in his creation. He put it in us. It's called will, volition, the freedom to choose, choice. Love requires choice. Without choice, we are slaves. We're robots. It's not love. It's control. But because he put this volition inside of us, that's how he made us, now there's a risk involved in creation. There is a risk of will we trust God's leadership, God's provision, God's design, and God's will, and, and the creator's uh, omniscient understanding of what life needs to be like? Or are we going to try to do life our own way? make up purpose for ourselves, create significance for ourselves, control things the way we want things to go. See, this was Adam and Eve's story. God gave them this amazing garden and all this stuff to eat of, and there was one tree. He said, I don't want you to eat of that tree. It's forbidden for you to eat of that tree, but they chose, because God gave them choice, chose to disobey and did things their way. The moment that they did, sin entered the story of mankind. This rebellious attitude to do things our way, to, to resist the leadership of God in our lives, and to suffer the consequences of it. Ever since that moment, all mankind has been suffering the consequence of sin in our lives and in our world. The brokenness that we feel internally in our own lives, the difficulties that we face in this world, the wars, the, the, the pain and the suffering all around us, all of this is a stark reminder that, that this is not the way it was supposed to be. God made us to be in right relationship with him. And, and I love that, that Easter is a culmination of a story because everything unraveled in that moment in Genesis chapter 3, but, but God, God's heart was intent from his love and from his desire, he was intent on rescuing all mankind, making it possible for us to be back in right relationship with him. 
In fact, the story of humanity has been humanity trying to get back in the relationship with God. We've tried everything. We, we, we've tried religion. We've tried lots of good works. Some of us have a scale in our minds, and we're like, hey, yesterday was kind of a bad day, so today needs to be a little better day. We've, we've got different approaches to trying to make ourselves right with God if we're honest with ourselves. But none of it works because God's standard is perfection. Every single one of us falls short of that standard. Isaiah says that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all drifted from the love of God, the purpose of God, the will of God for our lives. And something has to be reconciled here. Because the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. I said it a minute ago, our God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. That's what makes him so worth trusting is that he is fair, he is just, he is right in all he does. It would not be fair if our God just kind of turned a blind eye to sin. I was like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. If my standard's perfection, I could kind of bend the rules today for this group of people or for those group of people. And this is what humanity has done, hasn't it? We've played favorites. We've acted like some of us got it more together than others. We've created little pockets and, and we've created kind of little divides amongst us. And, and, and really, this is the story of humanity for, for generations is trying to reconcile ourselves back to God. But really, here's the bottom line is the standard is perfect and none of us meet it. And God would not be fair. God would not be just if he ignored that line. So here's the tension. How does our God be loving and just at the same time? This is why Easter is such a big deal. Because God was able to accomplish both at the same time. There was a king hundreds of years ago named Zacucrius. And he ruled in a kingdom that, that was amazing. I mean, peace, prosperity, I mean, almost like a utopian type society. There was, there was difficulty in his kingdom, but he ruled with decisive, uh, really uh, fervent judgment and rule. When people stepped out of the boundaries, he had swift and decisive punishment for those, for those offenses. And people often stayed within the boundaries because of the decisiveness of Zacucius. One day, Zacucius was in his... Um, courtroom in his judgment seat and he was hearing the cases from the previous week of people that had stepped outside of different boundaries and in his judgment seat um, they would bring in the cases the crier would call out what the case was and then he would make a determination based on previous established laws and rules and punishment consequences this one afternoon the back door swung open the guards were bringing in a, a young man he couldn't quite make out who it was in the back of the courtroom but The crier calls out, my king, my lord, this man has been caught in the act of adultery. Kind of caught his attention because in that day in Zacucurius' kingdom, uh, the penalty for adultery was, was the burning of both the perpetrator's eyes out of their sockets. Maybe it was like, if you can't see it, you're not going to want it anymore. And so Zacucrius kind of leaned forward as the, the guards were bringing in this young man. As soon as he stepped a few steps further, the king's heart sank because between the two guards stood his son. The son had a little bit of a, an arrogant air to himself as he walked through the doors. I mean, the son had been the envy of the kingdom for, for, for decades now. Everybody knew who he was, loved him, adored him. 
Maybe there was a sense of, of hey, it's my dad. <laughs> What's he going to do? The king is quickly stricken, leans to his advisors. Guys, what do I do? That's my son. A portion of his advisors are like, king, it's all right. It's your son. You just let it go this time. People understand. They all have kids too. They, they get it. But another portion of his advisors were like, my king, if you, if you allow this to continue in your kingdom, what, what else will give way? You've got to stay just. You've got to stay swift and decisive in your judgment. And so the king just slumps in his chair. As he contemplates his decision, you can see the king just welling with emotion. Uncertain of how to handle this difficult moment, he finally comes to his decision, and he just calmly says, lay him down. Because when the punishment of the two eyes being burned out of the perpetrator's sockets happened in that day, they would actually strap the, the condemned to the ground. His arms and his legs would be bound into the ground, his head strapped firmly to the ground so that he could not move. And so the executioners and their crew, they began to grab and kind of wrestle the young man to the ground and a knee on his chest and wrenching the straps tied around his arms. And he begins to flail and scream, dad, dad, it's me. How, how could you? The king is visibly shaken and actually begins to weep as he sits in his judgment seat as his son is laying before him in the courtroom being strapped to the ground. The executioner would heat an iron rod to white hot in the fire and he would he would lower it into the condemned's eyes so as he grabs the rod the king's son is flailing screaming the king is weeping openly violently shaking the executioner begins to lower the rod and he settles it in on the son's left eye and the searing, the screaming, the smell. The king is beside himself. The executioner raises the rod and begins to lower it on the son's right eye. And the king just holds up his hand and he says, wait. He said, today you will be taking my right eye. The king lays himself down in his son's place. The executioner burns the king's right eye out. And in this one moment, the king is just because the penalty was two eyes. And he is loving because he willingly puts himself in his son's place. See, this is the story of the resurrection of Jesus in so many ways. Jesus came to earth and walked in every place that you've walked. Yet he remained sinless and perfect. The punishment of our sin is death, the Bible says. And Jesus willingly took the punishment for our sin on himself. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him you might become the righteousness of God that you might be made right with God the way you were intended to be, no longer imperfect, but now when God sees you, he sees the perfection of his son. Not all of your iniquity and all your sin and all your mistakes of your past, he sees the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. 
You are clothed now with a new righteousness. It's not your own. It is the righteousness of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. See, when Jesus came up out of the grave, God is making a statement that, that yes, sin requires death, but even in death, I cannot be held back in my love and my grace for all mankind. And I will defeat death. I will defeat sin so that you are no longer controlled by sin, no longer owned by fear and shame and things of your past, but now you are free to walk in the right relationship that God created you to walk in and and to walk with confidence that he loves you and that he has saved you and that he has paid the price for you. The resurrection of Jesus Jesus is a culmination of God's rescue of all mankind. I mean, when I come to today, I'm I'm still pondering that question of like, what is it that defines us? Because I know from my story, I I grew up a church kid. I could could tell you the story of Jesus' resurrection inside and out. I was even Roman soldiers in in the church play quite often, right? I, I, one time I had to spit on the, on the actor Jesus. <laughs> like, I've been around this thing my entire life. But not until I got to a spot where I recognized personally that, that God didn't just send his son to die for all mankind, but actually for me personally, that I'm a sinner, I'm wicked, I am, I am separated from God by my sinfulness, and I am in desperate need of a savior that the resurrection of Jesus actually became real for me. It actually became the thing that motivated my life, my purpose, my, my future, like, like the, the passion inside of me. And, and I think about even now as my family, I mean, my wife and I are sitting there and the, you know, they do some chest x-rays and we hear the nurse out in the hallway, did you see that lady's x-ray? We're like, oh man, that doesn't sound good. Then in walks a surgeon. Like, we don't want to see a surgeon. We're going to have to operate. We're going to have to figure out what this tumor is in your chest. After the surgery, he's certain it's lymphoma. We're going to send it to biopsy and make sure that the, the pathology is exactly what we think it is, but we're pretty sure it's, it's lymphoma. As the prognosis comes final and then the the talk of cure rates and percentages and understanding of this kind of chemo treatment and what it's all going to mean and the weeks and the months of the rest of our lives and how that is all going to go and what it is going to mean for my family and I and all these things that are just swirling through our hearts and our minds. It's so easy for this idea of the resurrection of Jesus to be a distant but I think this is a testing time for me and my family to really kind of prove, like, who are you really, Richie? Like, all that you preach, all that you proclaim, all that you, 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 you study in Scripture, and all that you encourage other people with, is it real for you, Richie? Like, is this resurrection really life-changing for you, or is it just a nice sermon that you show up on an Easter and preach? Is this really who you are? Is this what defines your life? And I think for my wife and I, just to have these honest conversations and go, you know what? We really do believe that Jesus holds the keys to life and death. 
that he has the ultimate authority on this planet and in the life to come. We really do believe that he is the healer, will heal, wants to heal my wife. We really do believe with all our hearts that he has put us here for a reason, on purpose in this city to love and to serve as many people as possible, to help as many people come to know Jesus. With all our hearts, we believe. And even as we stand at these crossroads, this, this opportunity for us to evaluate is so important. I was talking to some of our elders this week. It's so difficult for me because I've always been okay. I, I see you in the lobby. How you doing? Good, good, good. And if you're not okay, that's okay. I can give you a hug and we'll be okay. But what happens when I'm not okay? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to lead when I'm not okay. And yet at the same time, all of this resurrection, the power of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God is real. And is it really what defines us? Is it really what defines you? Is that who you really are? Every time somebody in the New Testament came to grips with the resurrection of Jesus, any gospel account that you read, we read Mark earlier here, I'm looking at Luke chapter 24 here in my Bible, and I'm just seeing these people, they're, they're impacted by the reality that Jesus is alive. He's not in the grave anymore. Like what you knew to be true is no longer true because God overcame what everybody knew to be reality, and he made a new reality. He made a new truth by resurrecting his son from the dead. Does that shake you and affect who you are and direct your steps and lead your heart because, man, it changed them for all of eternity. And I look at them and I self-reflect and I go, who are we? Are we just little Christians that call ourselves this and play little games and go through little motions? Or is this actually like who we are? Like, is this actually changing the, this is, this is the most significant moment in all of human history, but is it your most significant moment? Like, has it really changed and gripped who you are and the way that you live? Because when I look at the New Testament, I see these people, and if their story is defined by, by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, everything changes. I come back to my question, what is it that defines your life? Maybe for some of you, it's been success. Success is amazing. For others of us, maybe it's been failure. I mean, what is it? Has it been wealth? Maybe it's been poverty. Maybe it's been an addiction. Maybe it's things you've accomplished. What is it that's defined your life up to this point right now? The place you're going to go to school, you are going to school, the degree you have, the, 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 the kind of life you've built, the family you have, the kinds of kids you have, the success of your kids. What is it that has defined your life? And my, my hope in this conversation today is just to be honest with you and to have you be honest with yourself before God. Go, and is that really, is that really it? Because Man, we're talking about Jesus, God himself coming to earth, dying on our behalf, and being in the grave for three days, and then getting up out of the grave, defeating sin and death once and for all of humanity. <laughs> like, what are we really comparing that to? Nothing. Our definitions of success and failure pale in comparison to that one moment right there.
for you and I to just go, okay, I want to call us, invite you to really consider this. Like, what if your life was defined by the resurrection of Jesus? What would change? What would, would, what would be different? I know that when I look at the New Testament, I see these people defined by the resurrection of Jesus, and there's this sense of passion that just fills their lives. There's a sense of urgency. It's like a fire inside them that just burns. It's like an unquenchable fire, a, a desire to see people around them changed by the love and the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. There's this, there's this raw emotion to it that, that my workplace and my neighbors and, and my friends and people I go to school with, like this city, like the half a million people in our city that don't know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, like they matter to us. And this passion just fills us with a sense of urgency, like, God, forgive us for being so lackadaisical and so consumed with ourselves and, and, and our own successes and wealth and things that, that we think matter in this life when really what all that matters is eternity, lives being shaped for eternity. And God, would you put that kind of passion inside of us? I look at my girls, I, I love my daughters, and just like you love your kids, it's just so much fun to watch them be who they are and both of them play a ton of sports and there's a passion in them that I just uh, I can't quite get a grip on sometimes it just blows me away the kind of like joy and excitement they have as they're practicing training really grinding for the sport that they play to get to see my oldest daughter Faith get to she's moving away here to California in a few months and she's going to go play college soccer and it's a dream of hers for for years now but the kind of passion that she has, wasn't, it didn't just show up when she started having recruiting conversations with coaches. It was, it was a passion that I remember years and years ago. Which she would, she has for years taped these little goal sheets on the inside of her bedroom door. She would write a goal for the year. Maybe multiple goals of how she would train or things she would accomplish in training. And she would, she would write all these things out and she'd post it on the inside of her bedroom door so she would see it every day on her way out the door. I'm like, what eight-year-old does this, right? And year after year, these goals would be meet and, and, and beat by her, and she would, she would accomplish these goals, and every one of them were steps on the way of her getting to realize this dream this summer. And I just think about that passion that drove her, and I go, God, that's the kind of passion I want to have for you and your kingdom and your people, that it would actually shape every single day of my life with a motivation and a sense of urgency, and that I would have this kind of like fire that's unquenchable inside me, that it would actually make a difference in the way that I shape my life, my thinking, my planning, my spending, my time, my energy, that it wouldn't just be a great notional idea about the resurrection of Jesus, but it would actually change my life. That your life would be the same. That you would be defined with this sense of passion inside you. That the res Jesus is alive. He died and he rose again to save people from their sins and this entire world has got to know the love and the goodness of our God. How do we get that out? How do we help everyone know the love of God through this people? God, would you fill us with this kind of passion? Passion fills those that are defined by the resurrection of Jesus. The other thing that I think is so clear in scripture is that purpose directs every single person that is defined by the resurrection. What do I mean? Every place we go, we're there on purpose. The people we're around, the relationships we have, we're there for a reason, to bring love, to bring 
the joy of what God is doing, the, the transformation of his resurrection, what he's done in us. Like there's this infectiousness of purpose about our lives. We're not wandering aimlessly through this life, trying to keep up with people around us. We're not trying to create purpose for ourselves with living the American dream. We're not just kind of trying to make a, an existence for ourselves that we think sounds quali quality and sounds you know, nice. We are trying with all our hearts to be defined by the purpose of God. See, God has gifted you. He has shaped you. He has given you abilities for exactly the assignment that he has for your life. He has an assignment for you, a purpose for your life. And you could absolutely miss that and just go live your own purpose and have your own existence and have really no fulfillment at all in any of those things that you're trying to map out for your life. And God, meanwhile, is going, hey, I got a purpose for you. I've created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you could do the good work that I planned long ago for you to do waste our lives making up our own purpose when the resurrection of Jesus is sitting in front of us today as an opportunity to self-reflect and evaluate and go wow is this what defines me is this who I am I mean as a church many of you are part of real life is this who we are is this what defines us is this what fills us with passion and purpose. This is why we are here in this city. If it's not, here's what's so great about today. The good news of Jesus Christ is that his death on the cross, burial in the grave, and his resurrection from the dead is a gift to every single one of us gift of his grace and his salvation that is freely offered to everyone. When Jesus sent out his disciples to go preach the good news of the kingdom, he's like, freely you've received, now freely give. It's a message of hope, life, an opportunity for every single one of us. Jesus has always been making this invitation. And here's how he makes it. It's, it's a simple invitation, but it's really kind of difficult to deal with. The invitation Jesus makes is to a life of surrender, submission. Not very popular words in our culture. Not normal activities in our hearts. The way of our sinful nature is rebellion, independence, what I want to do. But the way of the kingdom of God is submission, surrender. Jesus said, if anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If you want to try to hold on to your life, you're actually going to lose it. But if you would give up your life for my sake, then you will find it. The way of the kingdom is surrender. That's the invitation today. I said it's simple. It's not easy. So that's what I want to invite you to do. Some of you have never surrendered to Jesus. And here's what surrender is. Recognizing I am a sinner. I need a savior. That this isn't the resurrection for all those people out there. That this is the day of resurrection for this soul right here. 
Maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus. That's the invitation that you would take that step today. Maybe some of you surrendered at some point, but you got arrogant and you started making purpose for yourself, defining life the way you wanted to define it. We find ourselves, I do this, I strategize, I control things. I, I just become my own God if I'm not careful. That's why Jesus said, if you're gonna come after me, you gotta take up your cross daily and follow me. Surrender is not just like a one-time gig. It's all the time. It's why we're a church. It's why we need each other to be reminded of our need for surrender, our need for a savior. So I want to ask you today just to consider your own heart, your own status in life. What is it that defines you? Is it the resurrection of Jesus? If you would say, no, Richie, it's not, but I want it to be. Maybe it used to be, but not anymore. And I, I need the resurrection and the power of the resurrection and the passion and the purpose that comes from knowing the goodness of the resurrection of Jesus in my life. It's a simple act. I'm just going to ask you to be courageous in the room. Just put your hand up and just say, I, I need to surrender today. Stop this place. Yeah, I love seeing this. Thank you, Jesus. Just keep your hand there. God, this is us just saying yes. We acknowledge that we are sinners. We need to be saved from ourselves and our sinful, rebellious attitudes, God, that we need your grace. We need this gift your power over sin and death is demonstrated by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We need you, Jesus. We just confess, God, that we can't save ourselves. We can't make ourselves perfect. We can't earn the right into your kingdom, God. We don't have what it takes. Only you do, Jesus. And we confess today that you are our King. You are our Lord. You are our God. You are our Savior. And we surrender to you right now. God, you're saving souls all over this room right now. Thank you, Jesus. People that have been drifted, you're drawing them back right now, God. People that got arrogant, you're just humbling them right now, God. Thank you, Jesus. Our communion team is coming right now because I want to just spend a moment and solemnize this commitment in your heart. Communion is an act of faith and an act of unity. It's sacred. We do it every week around here because Jesus gave us this practice as an opportunity to put into action this faith that we say that we have. That Jesus died for us. That he really did raise from the dead and save us from our sins. See, the bread that you're getting, I want you to hold on to it. Don't take it yet. The bread that you're getting is a picture of Jesus' body. The cup is a picture of his blood that was shed for you and I. When we put it in our bodies, it's a moment of submission, surrender. Nobody's going to do it for you. Just like nobody can acknowledge that you're a sinner for you. I'm sure plenty of people would like to, though. But this is your chance to be honest between you and God. I just want you to just consider 
What is it that defines your life? Is it the resurrection of Jesus? Maybe there's things you need to confess right now to God. Places of sin. Maybe it's been shame of your past that just has controlled you. He's just asking you to let that go. Allow his grace to cover you. His free gift to define you. His love to cover your sin. Maybe you would just spend a moment just in awe and gratitude for his salvation. that Jesus gave us was baptism. Some of you have not been baptized yet. That is really your first public step of confessing that Jesus is your God and in control of this life. It's a symbol of surrender. Somebody actually puts you under the water and it's like your old life is going down into the grave with Jesus and then we pull you up out of the water and it's this confession of now I'm a new creation. Walking in the new life that Jesus has paid for and given to me. And we would love to help you take that step. I want you to look at this cracker and this cup that you have in your hand for just a moment. Just know that you are entering into a tradition 2,000 plus years now. Jesus Church has been unified right here and our acknowledgement of our sin and our need for a Savior. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. After he had given thanks, he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body which is given for you. Every time you eat this, remember me. Let's eat and remember Jesus together today. the same way after dinner he took the cup he said this cup is the blood of the new covenant it's poured out for the forgiveness of sins every time you drink this remember me let's drink and remember together today would you stand and pray with me today God it's Easter you came to save souls you're saving in this room there's hearts that you're turning back to you in this room there's sins that you're forgiven in this room there's pains that you're healing in this room there's sickness that you're overcoming in this room there's freedom that you're bringing to hearts in this room there's hope that you're filling minds with in this room there's anxieties that you are dispelling in this room there are fears that you are conquering in this room in the name in the power and the authority of Jesus God we thank you we thank you, Jesus. You conquered sin and death, Jesus, and we just acknowledge your power and your authority in this place. You are above it all. Your name stands higher and above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
We just honor you this Easter, Jesus, and give you our lives. We love you so much. Let's just sing this together today. Come on.